You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning. My name is Ashley. Um, I'm in the Houses Community Group, and I'll be reading from Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Ashley. Forgot my Bible back there. It's not good when you're the preacher. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church. Uh, if you're a guest, thank you for being with us. If you would take a minute and fill out the Connect card that's under your chair um, and get it back to us, we would love an opportunity to serve you, to connect with you, to see how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. And if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Matt's back there. He'll be happy to bring you one. Um, and if you're on your phone or your tablet, we use the ESV, so uh, it's good to be back together. Happy New Year. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this year. I'm excited for what the Lord is going to do in and through this church this year. We're going to talk a lot coming up in our community groups and in our next members meeting in a couple weeks, uh, but this year we're really going to drill down deeply um, on discipleship and evangelism. As, as a church. And so as I began praying um, last year about sermon series, I'm not sure that's a word, sermon series for this year, um, especially during our lament series, I felt like the Lord was leading me to uh, walk through Galatians um, just in a way to remind us of our identities in Christ. Um, Galatians can be described as the Christian Declaration of Independence. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. So the book of Galatians leads us to some answers to some of our deepest questions, and it leads us to some clarity about some of our deepest desires. These questions like, how can I find true happiness? How can I find peace and tranquility and freedom from fear and guilt and freedom from shame? And man, how can I just find meaning and, and purpose in this life? I think at some level, we're all looking for answers to these questions. And a lot of us really look for answers and solutions in a bunch of different places other than Jesus. So just for the next few weeks, we're just going to kind of dip our toes into the Galatian waters. And, and I want to attempt to remind you all, if you are in Christ, I want to attempt to remind you of your first identity as a believer and what is actually available to you in Jesus. In our own strength and in our own wisdom, we are totally unable to discover the answers to the questions that we have. Galatians is going to bring us face to face with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And more importantly, it's going to push us beyond a culturally Christian understanding of what the gospel really is. Like, the gospel is not just for unbelievers only. The gospel is more than how we get to heaven. 
The gospel is not only the means of our salvation, it's more than how we get to heaven. The gospel of Jesus is also the means of our transformation. You see, a relationship with Jesus absolutely changes everything. It doesn't just change the destination of your eternity. It impacts how you live now. The gospel, accepted by faith in Christ, sets you free from bondage to sin and bonds you to Christ for all of life, to live a life dedicated to Christ. And so we're going to just spend the next few months walking through what Martin Luther calls the best book in the entire Bible. The most important book in the entire Bible. That's what Martin Luther says. And so while we're in this season, while we're walking through Galatians, I just pray that you would have a transforming encounter with Jesus. Regardless of where you're at in your Christian walk, I just pray that this encounter with Jesus will set you free from legalism, as you try to keep rules and live a certain way in an effort to please God. And I pray that this encounter with Jesus would set you free from what's called licentiousness, which is like doing whatever you want to do, living for yourself because God is somehow obligated to forgive you. Man, I pray that Galatians would just lead you to delight in the freedom that you have received by the rich mercy and grace of Jesus to you. That an encounter with Jesus would lead you to love and delight in God the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. So with that in view, let's pray together and we're going to open this text. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, we are thankful people. Thank you for another year together as the bride of Christ to worship you and to open your word together, Lord. I pray that you would impress deeply on the hearts of men and women in here this morning our need for you and our need for your lordship in our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would break chains of legalism, Lord, that you would break the chains of rule following, Lord, and that you would just break the chains of worldliness, Lord, that you would call us into right relationship with yourself. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed and conviction where conviction is needed and that you would just move among us this morning. Church, if you are willing, I'd ask that you pray for yourself. Pray that the Lord would reveal any sin and unbelief in your life and in your heart this morning. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, um, so today we're going to just spend a few minutes uh, setting up the context of this book of Galatians so that um, we can understand the purpose of why this book is being written, why this book is important for the first century context then, and why it is important now. So if you have your Bibles, let's just look at the first part of verse 1 together. It says, Paul, an apostle. 
So the book of Galatians was written by this man named Paul. He was formerly known as Saul up through Acts chapter 8. He was a Jewish man, a Pharisee, and he was a zealous Pharisee at that. There is no indication given to us in the New Testament that he ever met Jesus prior to the resurrection of Jesus. But by and large, the Pharisees hated Jesus. So Saul, as a Pharisee, was an enemy of the church of Jesus and Jesus' disciples. He was going from town to town, persecuting Christians. He was going from town to town, killing Christians. And he was just kind of being an all-around bad dude. Um, If you're into old westerns, he's like the villain that rides into town and um, wreaks a lot of havoc. So one day, Paul is on his horse, and he's riding to this place called Damascus, and he's going to kill Christians there. And as he is on the road, a bright light hits him in the face, knocks him off his horse, and blinds him. Then out of the light, he hears the voice of Jesus speaking to him, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This encounter with Jesus You can read about it in Acts 8 and 9. This encounter with Jesus leads Saul to repent of his sin and repent of his unbelief. And as a result of his encounter with Jesus, Saul, now Paul, becomes one of the greatest missionaries and church planners the world has ever seen. Shortly after his conversion, Saul's name gets changed to Paul, and he begins preaching in uh, Jewish regions and Gentile regions or non-Jewish regions alike until his missionary efforts then are primarily concentrated on Gentile or non-Jewish reasons. Paul says that he is an apostle. An apostle means that one that is sent. So in the New Testament, an apostle is someone who is sent directly from Christ himself. So Jesus had disciples. Jesus had 70 or so disciples. But within that 70, there are the more famous 12 who were the 12 apostles as they were eyewitnesses to Jesus's ministry and his teaching and his resurrection. Apostles then are sent by what's known as an emissary, like like a king who had given a person being sent the authority to speak on behalf of the sender. So apostles in the New Testament were given the authority to go. They were sent from God himself with authority to speak from God himself. Jesus was the supreme apostle sent from God the Father in power and authority. And at his ascension, Jesus says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He then transfers his authority onto the first apostles. And then later on to Paul, in order that they may speak with authority the things of God. Therefore, with this apostolic authority given to people like Paul and Peter and the other apostles by Jesus through God the Father, the words they write for us in our scriptures, in the Bible, um, are our supreme authority. Because these men write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in order to instruct the church and to discipline the church for holiness. So just as an aside, since we believe that the Bible is complete, sufficient, lacking in nothing, it should not be added to or altered, we believe that the office of the capital A apostle ended with Peter and Paul and the others. 
So we have their writings. We have the writings of Peter and Paul and John and James and the other apostles. And they were, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the scriptures then, again, are our authority for life as Christians. Man, so perhaps you're sitting out there and you're a person that would say, yeah, I like Jesus, but I don't really care for Paul. I like Jesus, but not Paul. I like the person of Jesus, but Paul was kind of a misogynist. Paul was kind of an egomaniac. I like Jesus, but not what the New Testament says on how I should live. I'm cool with Jesus, but my life really doesn't have to look like how the Bible calls me to live. Because I'm loving God in my heart. I don't really have to do what he says. Man, if that's your position, you emphatically don't like Jesus. If you reject the Bible, if you aren't obedient to Jesus and his word, or you only accept the parts of the Bible that you like, then you reject Jesus fully. And then your eternity is not secure. So one of the reasons Paul is writing is to defend his apostolic authority against those who are corrupting the gospel. He says, let's finish verse 1, Galatians 1.1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. All right, to paraphrase, he says, I am Paul. I'm an apostle. I have been trained not by men, but I have been trained by and have been with and commissioned by Jesus for this ministry. I will call you to remember Acts 8 and 9. Um, This same Jesus who was crucified and resurrected by God himself, no one other than Jesus has given me this authority, and this authority comes from God himself. Paul is writing as one with God-given authority to defend the gospel against heretical teaching or heresy. Heresy means a deliberate departure from a Christian teaching. And this was taking place in this region of Galatia. Look at verse 2. Paul says um, that his authority is, he's an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. All right, so Galatia, it's debated about where these churches actually are in the world. Um, there, Devante's not here. He'd be real excited about this next sentence. Hope he's listening on the podcast and this blesses his heart. There is a debate called the Northern and Southern Galatia debate. We're not going to spend any time talking about it um, because it's not really prudent for our purposes. But if you want to look it up in the Google, um, you could do that, and I would encourage you to do so. I fall into what's known as the Southern Camp, and I fall here because geographically speaking, the proximity of these churches are super close. And so if there's going to be a false teaching rise up, it would make sense that it could spread really fast and quickly amongst churches that are within a few miles of each other. And so that's why Paul is writing. These churches are close together. Paul visited these churches in Acts chapter 14. That doesn't really matter for our purposes, but there you go. Um, So if this view is correct, and I believe that it is, Um, dad joke coming, just be warned. This means that Paul is writing to a group of churches that are in what is now present-day Turkey, the country, not the bird. Hey-o. Okay, thank you. 
Um, Paul is writing to defend his apostolic authority, yes. But his primary concern is to defend the gospel of Jesus. So Paul had planted these churches. You can read about them in Acts 14. Paul had planted these churches in this Gentile region, this non-Jewish region, and left them in the hands of these men, including the apostle Peter, and he instructed them to teach them and to care for their souls of these new Gentile believers. Also in this area is this group of people, this group of Jewish folks who were not denying the resurrection. However, they were saying that in order to be a true follower of God, one must accept the resurrection of Jesus as necessary for salvation, but also you must follow all of the laws of the Old Testament which means you have to follow the dietary laws, and all of the new men, all the new believing Gentile men, must now be circumcised. Paul preached a gospel message, though, on the other hand, that said, faith alone in Christ alone leads to salvation. These men, these, these false teachers, they're known as Judaizers, they came in and said, no, Paul, Paul's no apostle. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. It's not faith alone. It is faith plus works that saves a person. If you want to be right with God, you have to say that the resurrection is true. Then you have to get circumcised. Then you have to eat like us. And on the surface, it doesn't appear that damaging. Right? Like, I mean, it seems praiseworthy to believe in the resurrected Jesus and to follow the Jewish laws. I mean, they were in the Old Testament God's chosen people, right? But what this teaching is doing, what this heretical teaching is doing, is threatening the authority of Christ. Because by arguing that there were other things that someone can do in order to be saved, it was implying that the sacrifice of the cross of Jesus was not sufficient to accomplish your salvation. It was implying that Jesus did not fully fulfill completely the words of the law and the prophets. When Jesus died and was raised to new life, he completed the requirements of the law. The law was in place in order for sin to be paid for as a temporary measure. That's why they would sacrifice lambs in their places. And Jesus Christ came as the perfect sacrificial lamb. He kept the requirements of the law perfectly. And then he died the death that we deserve, satisfying the wrath of God against sin. And therefore... Because God the Father has accepted the sacrificial and substitutionary death of Jesus in our place. We don't have to do anything else other than believe in Jesus by faith. We don't have to do anything other than believe in Jesus by faith. That his work to us on the cross is sufficient for our salvation in him and our delight in him. Jesus is the only one that can save and saves to the uttermost he does. And Paul is writing to these churches because they are in danger of leaving behind this gospel of Christ and going back to some works-based religious system. 
And Paul is not happy about it. We're going to unpack some angry Paul words next week or two. Usually Paul would write these letters and he'd do these personal greetings like, Dear Church of Philippi, what's happening? I'm thrilled with the track you're on. Um, Keep it up. Also work on these things. But you're doing really good. I'm proud of you. There's none of that going on here. There is none of that. There is some tension in the air and it is thick. And we're going to dive into some of that next week. And yet... With all of that hanging in the balance, Paul knows that all is not lost yet. Paul takes an opportunity to remind these wayward Christians about their identities in Christ. Look what he says here in verses 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. The sentence communicates to us that while Paul is about to unload on this church in righteous anger for their disbelief and their desertion of the true gospel, he still regards them as brothers and sisters. And he's not given up on them as being lost causes. Man, he says grace. Grace alone to you. Grace to you. God's spontaneous and unmerited favor in his action by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross in our place. God himself has come to earth in undeserved grace to his people. Those very people who in their sin, in failure to follow Jesus fully or even at all, those very people who would send him to the cross to die the death that we deserved, this grace to the least deserving, Paul says grace to you. God, through his grace, has bestowed upon us loving kindness after loving kindness and salvation to guilt-laden sinners who turn to him and receive forgiveness. This grace is the same grace that also leads the judge of the world to not only cancel our debts, but to adopt us as his own. God has given us grace. And that grace accomplishes our forgiveness. And that grace leads to peace with God and peace from God. Grace produces peace with God. So in our Advent series a few weeks ago, one of the themes we looked at was was peace. We talked about peace from God, and that is a wonderful benefit. But peace with God and the peace of God or the peace from God are, are two very different things. Peace from God or the peace of God means a calm and satisfied heart as we rest in the blessings of God that came from or that come from a a relationship with God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. But peace with God is something completely different. So consider this for a second, church. When you sin, You are not only actively rebelling against God, but you are also claiming the right to do so. Tim Keller says it this way. 
that in our sin, we are claiming kingship over our lives and over our world, and yet God has also claimed kingship over our lives and over our world as well. So this leads to conflict. When two rival kings claim kingship over the same territory, it leads to war. So in our sin, before our salvation, we are at war with God. And therefore, by the very contrast of the definition of peace, we have no peace with God. We are set up against God. We are rebelling against God. We are in opposition to God. Because in our sin and at our core, we don't want God. We don't want God. And we don't want his lordship. We don't want his kingly rule over our lives. And what Paul says is this. That because of the work of Jesus to live a perfect sinless life, the life we are called to live but couldn't and wouldn't, and then to die the death we deserved, we have peace with God. If you are in Christ, you are no longer at war with God. But rather, you have peace with God. And with this peace, given to us by faith and by our justification, the act of being made right, we can now joyfully submit to the rightful king of our lives. Jesus, as Paul says in verse 4, came and gave himself in order to deliver us. This word in the Greek means to rescue. Christ accomplishes this rescue by surrendering himself to the will of God. That led him to abandon his position in the heavenly realms and to become the curse eternal by becoming death for us and in our place. And he was motivated by his love for creation and nothing else. Motivated by his love for creation and his glory and nothing else. Man, when you consider the depths of your own sin... Just think about it for a second. When you consider the depths of your sin, you ought to realize that there is nothing in you worthy of rescue. What this verse says to us is that we are in great danger apart from Christ, and we can do nothing about it. Keller says we are too sinful to contribute to our salvation. We need complete rescue. And we are saved by belief in Jesus' work. The grace of Christ plus nothing else. And because of this truth that God has accomplished our salvation in and through himself, we get to verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Because of the great mercy and the great grace of God, who by him alone salvation and eternal life and delight in him is possible, God and God alone deserves the glory. If salvation could be accomplished through rule following and right living and being good enough, this just would not be true. We're going to dive deeply into this over the next couple of weeks as we continue to unpack Galatians together. But where we really need to land this morning is this. 
The gospel is good news to those who believe it. You see, Christian, what's important for you to understand is that your salvation is not dependent upon you and your good works. It's not dependent upon you and your righteousness. But salvation has been given to us because Christ is righteous. The startling truth of Christianity, the startling truth about following Christ in faith and dependency, is that God is pleased with you. Simply by his good pleasure, God is pleased with you. And he's pleased with you, not because of anything found in you. Man, the legalistic rule-following people in here like me think and possibly even act like this just cannot be true. Surely I have to do something. Surely I have to do something to warrant such a love like this. But that's just not true. The gospel destroys legalism because the gospel is free. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we work for our wages at our job. And we work for our wages, and in this life, our wage ought to be death because of our sin. But God in Christ gives us himself as a free gift, and belief in Christ gives us life eternal. This is why the New Testament, and more specifically the Apostle Paul, opposes adding anything to the gospel in order for one to be saved. Tony Marita says it like this, The gospel does not tell us what we have to do. Instead, it announces that God is pleased with us based solely on Christ's accomplishment in his death and resurrection and our identification with him. We don't need Christ plus this, or we don't need Christ plus that. We need Christ, period. So the gospel destroys legalism. Also, the, the gospel destroys licentiousness or license. Like worldliness, the gospel destroys worldliness because grace is free to us, yet it was so costly to Christ. The way of grace for us is a cross. Man, those of you that would say that you're a Christian, those of you that would say you're a Christian, those of you that would say that you're believers in Jesus and continue about in whatever sin you are in, walking in willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin, you are abusing this grace. And this grace is not meant for you to cheapen. This grace is not meant for you to cheapen the cross and the sacrificial work of Jesus to you. Man, as people that live in a sin-laden world, we will continue to struggle and we will continue to sin. But if you're willfully doing so and taking your sin so lightly, God is not mocked. Don't presume on Christ to forgive you when you are so ambivalent towards the cross and sacrifice of Jesus for you. Look, licentiousness 
worldly living doesn't always look like drinking, cussing, or sex outside of God's design. Man, some of you live a licentious lifestyle and you may not even be aware of it. Laziness is also licentiousness. Perhaps you claim to be a Christian and you care very little or even at all about the things of Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, man, that's just not me. Like, that, he's not, that's not me. I'd ask that you just examine your life for a second. A tree is known by its fruit, says Jesus. You may be the most morally upright person to ever walk the face of the earth, but if you don't submit your life to the scriptures and follow Jesus with your life, if you don't do what Jesus is calling you to do, Christ, again, church, is not mocked. Christ went to the cross to forgive us from our sins, so often we care so little about this. But there's grace. Grace, true grace received rightly by faith in Christ, changes your life. Your life looks different when Christ's grace intercedes in your heart. When you claim to be a Christian, when you claim to be a believer, when you claim to be in Christ, your life ought to look differently than it did before. You should desire the things of Jesus if you claim to be a Christian. Man, you should desire to be in his word. You should desire to be among the body of Christ, worshiping with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You should desire Christian community, Community is a gift to you to push you towards Christ when your desires for Christ are lacking. It is a gift to you. You should desire Christian community. This is where we practice the one another's of Scripture. This is where we push one another to holiness. Man, if you're in Christ, you should feel godly sorrow over your sin. Man, the question that I'll leave you with today is, do you desire these things? Do you desire Christ? Do you desire Christ and him alone? Are you seeking to add things to the gospel for yourself and for others? Listen, man, the invitation from Jesus at the cross is to just come as you are. And he will make you clean. He will make you righteous. He will give you a new heart and new desires to follow him. Christ's invitation doesn't say, hey, first stop sinning. First stop struggling with porn. First stop drinking too much. First stop lusting after people who aren't your spouse. First stop neglecting the church. Stop whatever the sinful behavior you're doing is. No, that's not, that's not what Christ says. The invitation from Jesus is, I love you. Confess your sin. Confess your unbelief. And turn from those things. Believe in Jesus. Pursue Jesus and his holiness. The invitation isn't to cower in guilt and shame and fear for all the things you know you've done. 
You don't have to hide from God because he knows it all and he knows it already. And he still went to the cross. The invitation is to be cleansed and forgiven and to know Jesus fully. Man, for the legalist in here like me, um, I'd ask, is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? When Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden come to me and I will give you rest, do you believe that he wants you just like you are? without any good deeds that will never measure up attached to, attached to, to, to it. Man, for the licentious people in here, the worldly livers, <laughs> do you believe that Jesus is enough for you to leave all of the pleasures that this world is offering you behind? Do you believe that Jesus is better than any fleeting thing? Man, as we move into a new year and a new series, I just ask that you'd really consider your life. Do you really trust Christ for all of life? Or are you just trying to earn his love? Or are you just assuming that he will forgive you because you think you are a good person? There is no safety or security in either one of those positions. The only sure and steady hope that we have is anchored in the fact that we have a gospel message. The only true gospel message that says we are broken and sinful people, totally unworthy to be saved and yet. But God, who is rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, did not see fit to leave us as we were. This God put on flesh and dwelt among us and endured the cross on our behalf. And he was raised, defeating sin and death once and for all, and he will return again. Church, God accepts you on the basis of Christ's work on the cross for you, and that's it. God and Jesus has provided rescue, which is better than any false salvation your heart is chasing. So do you know this wondrous love this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the cross and the resurrection. Lord, thank you for the ascension. For through it you have sealed us and guaranteed us with the promised Holy Spirit. Lord, may we cling to the truth that you're pleased with us simply on the basis of your righteousness and not anything found in us. Lord, change our hearts. Lord, call us to faith and repentance this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you're new, we respond by taking communion. There's communion cups on the back of both tables. The bread represents Christ's body that was broken.